Due to the graphic nature of this woman's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of terminal illness and death. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. When we think of scammers, we generally picture a con artist, a smooth-talking swindler who knows exactly what they're doing as they prey on vulnerable people. But Belle Gibson wasn't a mastermind. She was willing to say just about anything to get the attention she wanted. And when she saw an opportunity to cash in on that toxic trait, she cooked up an unbelievable story that took advantage of people's sympathies. We can look back now and point out just how wild Belle's lies were and wonder how no one called her on it. But here's the thing, who would ever pretend to have cancer? Welcome to Female Criminals, a Spotify original from Parcast. History has seen its fair share of women in trouble with the law, but whether or not they were all criminals is sometimes open to interpretation. This is the show where we cover the full spectrum of women behaving badly. Last week, we met Belle Gibson, a compulsive liar who built a business off the claim that she'd cured terminal brain cancer through a wholesome diet. What no one knew was that she'd never been sick at all. This week, we'll see how Bell's enterprise expanded to include a book deal and a partnership with Apple. Then we'll explore how the cracks started forming in her story before the whole thing shattered. We've got all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. In April of 2013... 21-year-old Belle Gibson's star was on the rise. She was on her way to over 200,000 devoted Instagram followers. She'd just filed paperwork for her new company, The Whole Pantry, and she was on her way to creating the first ever health and wellness app. Life was good. Of course, it all hung on one simple, radical idea, that Belle had cured her own terminal brain cancer by adopting a healthy lifestyle which, let me remind you, was completely false. But the thing was, Belle actually seemed to believe her own story. And as a result, she really saw herself as a true inspiration. She was convinced that she was helping her online community. And now she was ready to reach more people with a wellness game plan based on her so-called expertise. The first step in the process was her app, which went live on August 5th, 2013, just four months after Belle started The Whole Pantry. On the app, people could find a collection of gluten-free, paleo, and vegan recipes. There was even a feature where you could select your recipes for the week, and it'd create a shopping list for you. And that wasn't all. There were also articles and guides where Belle offered advice on how to combat stress and incorporate wellness into your life beyond food. 
Bell was an overnight success. Hundreds of thousands of people downloaded the new app. Many of them were cancer patients or people with terminal illnesses who took her word as gospel. They really believed if they just worked hard enough at living a healthy lifestyle, they could cure themselves just like Bell. And while making an effort to live and eat healthier seems like a net positive, there was a glaring issue. Many of her followers turned their backs on traditional medicine in favor of her methods. They chose clean eating over actual treatments. And Bell encouraged them, letting them get sicker while she profited off her app's success. Not that she had time to think about the ethics of what she was doing when her empire was growing so fast. By the end of August, the whole pantry was the most popular offering in the app store's food and drink category. Impressed, an Apple executive reached out to Bell to congratulate her, and perhaps wanting to get in on her success themselves, the company decided they wanted to pre-install the whole pantry on all the iPads displayed in Apple stores. They even wanted Bell to develop a version of the app for their secretive new gadget, the as-yet-unannounced Apple Watch. Bell was beyond stoked. She was finally getting the attention and praise she truly thought she deserved. After all, she'd been through so much in her life. Now, she felt like she could take on the world, and she wasn't content to wait for other opportunities to come her way. She wanted to strike while the iron was scorching. So in September of 2013, she emailed an editor at Penguin Random House with a book proposal. In her email, Belle bragged about her app's success and her substantial social media following. Then she pitched a cookbook based on her healthy eating diet. Weeks later, Belle met with Julie Gibbs, the director of Penguin's lifestyle imprint. When the publisher asked Belle why her audience was so devoted, the 21-year-old launched into a long-winded answer about how great she was. She actually used the words raw and authentic. With a totally straight face, she said that too many people on social media overly edit themselves. But Belle claimed she was different. She was honest, open, real. Before we unpack the psychology behind Bell's crimes, please note that I'm not a licensed psychiatrist or psychologist, but we have done a lot of research for the show. While Bell's lies are easy to spot, it's harder to figure out the genesis for them. Last time, we theorized that she might have suffered from factitious disorder, otherwise known as Munchausen's. But it's possible that multiple conditions were actually at play here, including malingering and pathological lying. Malingering is a type of behavior where a person feigns or induces their own illness. It often overlaps with Munchausen's, but unlike that disorder, malingering occurs when there's a specific, tangible goal to achieve, such as money. Then there's the pathological lying behavior, which overlaps with both of those disorders. According to professor of psychiatry Charles Dyke, there's not always a clear reason for pathological lying, but in those rare cases where there is an external incentive, the lies are often so grossly out of proportion to the perceived gain that they appear ridiculous. In Bell's case, she lied about brain cancer to get attention and sympathy from friends. There are so many other smaller lies she could have told to achieve that goal, but this was the one she went with. 
Then things spiraled from there, and the lie became unexpectedly profitable, and she doubled down. But as Dyke's research indicates, pathological lying is not always a conscious or intentional act, even if it begins as one. To you and I, Belle's lies seem so outrageous, it's almost laughable. But she truly believed what she was saying, and so did Julie Gibbs. She quickly offered Belle a book deal. It came with a $132,000 advance paid out in three installments. All she had to do was come up with about 90 recipes and the copy to go along with them. Belle was absolutely thrilled. Who knows if she actually read the fine print of her contract, but there was a clause that stipulated that no part of the work be a false representation or misleading or deceptive. By now, the lies were piling up, but by getting both Penguin Random House and Apple's backing, Bell's story suddenly had the credibility that comes with corporate wealth. And of course, she promoted the partnerships on social media. Anyone who saw those posts likely assumed the major corporations had done their due diligence and made sure Bell was above board. Before her deals, some people might have been skeptical of a random Instagram account. But now, there was actual corporate heft behind Bell's claims. The fact that two major companies stood behind her took the burden off the everyday user to think about if she was for real. It was a cozy, false sense of security blanket. And while the impersonal corporations are easy to lob blame at, their decisions are made by real people. And Bell was really good at convincing people she was legit. Suits, scrollers, she played them all the same. But with no one calling her out, Bell had no reason to curb her lies. She was a sucker for all the attention. And eventually she figured, why not get even more? That's when she announced she was throwing a belated launch party for her app. The night would double as a fundraiser, and the invite listed four different causes. Asylum seekers, birthing kits for women in developing countries, schools in Sierra Leone, and the family of a five-year-old boy with terminal brain cancer. Looking at all those charities, people on the curated guest list probably figured Bell was a saint. How kind and generous of this single mother to be thinking of others when she had so much going on in her own life. Of course, that was exactly Belle's plan. She was always thinking of how to make herself look good. To that end, the event itself was exclusive. No more than a few dozen people made the cut, and many of them were influential in their own rights. Cosmetics company founders, fashion bloggers, wellness gurus. Belle worked the room, thrilled to be socializing with the in-crowd. She also sold virtual tickets to the event, although that was a bit of a misnomer. The tickets didn't actually get you entry. They were just thinly veiled requests for donations. People could buy general tickets for $20, VIPs paid $100, or there was a name your price ticket. That way, everyone could feel like they were participating and part of the community, even if they weren't actually there. Once everyone arrived, Belle made her way to the microphone. It was her time to shine. 
Her speech brought people to tears. She talked about how overcoming cancer had given her a vision for a healthier world. She also talked about little Joshua Schwartz, the five-year-old who had a similar brain tumor to the one Bell claimed to have. If people were willing to donate, maybe he could conquer it like she did. Everyone applauded Belle, cheering on her generosity of spirit. And just as she had anticipated, they pulled out their wallets. When everyone headed home at the end of the evening, Belle collected all the donations. It's not clear exactly how much she pulled in from the event, but it must have been a nice chunk of change. And here's where she could have done the right thing. She could have passed along the checks to the charities as promised. It wouldn't make up for her lies, but it would have at least been something good. It'd balanced the scale a little, right? But Belle didn't do that. We don't know if she made the decision in the moment or if she'd planned it all along. Either way, she forgot about the charities she'd just spent two hours talking up. Why should they profit off her hard work when she could just pocket the money for herself? So that's exactly what she did. Next, Belle's fake cancer returns. Put yourself in the shoes of a real-life detective. Imagine examining the crime scene, gathering evidence and interviewing witnesses, feeling the pressure mount as you race against time to catch a criminal. Each week on Scotland Yard Confidential, the new Spotify original from Parcast, we enter the minds of some of the greatest detectives in history, following in their footsteps as they hunt down suspects and solve seemingly impossible cases, like the scandalous murder of singer Cora Crippen in 1910, whose body was found in her cellar shortly after her husband skipped town, or the daring Hatton Garden heist of 2015, when a gang of elderly thieves made off with a haul worth millions and the cryptic notes found at a murder scene during the First World War. Was it a clue or a red herring designed to throw investigators off? Scotland Yard Confidential is a Spotify original from Parcast made in partnership with Noiser, airing episodes weekly starting May 19th. Follow and listen to Scotland Yard Confidential for free on Spotify. Now back to the story. By the end of 2013, 22-year-old Belle Gibson was an unlikely but successful internet entrepreneur. She had a growing relationship with Apple, a book deal with Penguin, and a successful lifestyle brand. She'd also failed to pass on the donations from her company's launch party slash fundraiser, seemingly just because she could. At first, she used all the money she was bringing in for business expenses, very over-the-top ones, like when she signed a lease on a luxurious office for her growing team. Soon, though, the money went to her head. Belle treated herself to exorbitant personal items that had nothing to do with the whole pantry, a brand new BMW that cost nearly $1,200 a month, cosmetic dental work, an Alexander Wang handbag, and a designer watch. She also moved herself, her son Ollie, and her partner Clive into a million-dollar beachside home that she rented for more than $1,000 a week. The thing was, Belle wasn't bringing in nearly enough money to cover all those purchases. If she wanted to come even close to paying for it all, she needed cash, and she needed it fast. That's about when Belle started making all kinds of new promises about donating to charity. 
In one business proposal, she claimed that instead of profiting off of her successful app, the proceeds would go to people in need. But it seems she never even came close to making good on her word. Of course, she didn't think through the logical next steps that at some point, someone would notice that the charities weren't getting a dime. But Belle must have been so caught up in her own lies, she thought it didn't matter, that it would never catch up with her. For now, she was living the dream, and she wanted to keep it that way. Luckily for her, no one suspected a thing. They all thought she was the bee's knees. Her fans loved her, idolized her even. Some went as far as calling her their generation's Gandhi. Yeah, I know. But that's a testament to the power of Bell's narrative. According to researchers Stephanie Alice Baker and Chris Rojek, a compelling persona and narrative are crucial to creating parasocial relationships, or in other words, a one-sided relationship. Using social media, Bell maintained complete control over how everyone saw her. Fans saw her as enlightened because that's the way she made herself appear. Baker and Rojek explain that because anyone can use an app like Instagram without any oversight, it has a tendency to create conditions for deceit. And those can easily be exploited by people like Belle. But it seems that nothing she did made anyone pause and wonder if Belle was too good to be true. The praise just kept coming, and more and more companies jumped on the bandwagon. Usually, they were other wellness brands, ones that could capitalize on Bell's inspiring story to sell their own products. As Bell's name recognition grew throughout Australia, so did the opportunities falling at her feet. Eventually, national publications were beating down her door. First up was Elle magazine, who published a high-profile article complete with a multi-page photo spread of Bell. Next came Cosmopolitan, who gave Belle their Fun, Fearless Female Award and celebrated her at their annual gala. But let's pause right there, because do you want to know the craziest thing? In 2014, both Elle and Cosmopolitan received anonymous emails warning them that Belle was a liar. But they did nothing. Okay, maybe not nothing. They each made a half-hearted effort to check out the claim, but when they couldn't corroborate the tip, they just let it die. They couldn't imagine that anyone would lie about having cancer. Who would ever do that? These days, we know better. People lie on the internet all the time. But remember, everything about Bell was unprecedented. Social media was still in its nascent form, and wellness scams were nowhere near as prevalent as they are today, certainly not on Bell's scale. No one saw the red flags because they weren't conditioned to look for them. At least, that was the case for the massive organizations heaping praise on Bell. They only knew the woman who was presented on social media. They weren't aware of her history of lying. But by the middle of 2014, people from Bell's past started to resurface. They remembered more than Bell would care for, and they weren't shy about pointing out the flaws in her story. Old friends from her message board days posted comments online questioning Bell's story. Even some schoolmates shared stories on Facebook about her in high school. One former friend posted publicly on Bell's page, accusing her of lying about her cancer diagnosis. 
even people who didn't know her personally noticed that her story didn't add up. It lacked important details, and it just didn't make sense how she could have outlived her doctor's prognosis for such an aggressive form of cancer. We can only imagine what was going through Belle's head as she read these comments and posts all over her accounts. At first, it was likely denial. Of course she was sick. Then came anger. How dare these people accuse her of lying? But after that, maybe that was when the first cracks appeared in Belle's carefully curated delusion, because there was a part of her deep down that knew they were right. But she couldn't admit that, not to herself, not to them, not ever. She had to protect the life she'd built. So she deleted as many negative comments as she could and blocked the posters. Then she fell back on her usual shtick. She pretended to be even sicker. Somewhere in Belle's subconscious, she must have figured that the worse off she seemed, the more likely people were to believe her. All her problems stemmed from the fact that she seemed like she was doing too well. So she made a plan. It was July of 2014, and she threw a party for her son's fourth birthday. It was pretty typical to start out with. Presents, cake, laughter. The kids played while parents traded stories about their perfect children. But when the first guest made to leave, it was her time to act. For this to work, Belle needed an audience. One moment she was standing in her foyer looking perfectly healthy, the next, her knees buckled. She fell against the wall and slid slowly to the ground. Next, her eyes rolled into the back of her head and she started convulsing. To the horrified guests, it looked like she was having a seizure. Her friends scrambled to help. One person pulled out a phone to call an ambulance, but someone stopped them. Belle notoriously hated hospitals. Another friend dropped to the floor and cradled her head, while others whisked the kids away so they wouldn't see. All the while, Belle continued seizing. Of course, based on what we now know, it's easy to say it was all fake, but she was giving the performance of her life. Finally, Belle stopped shaking and came to. Her friends offered to take her to a doctor or to help with Ollie the rest of the day, anything she needed. But Belle waved them off, assuring them she'd be fine. And she would be. Now she had them right where she wanted them. That night, Belle took to Facebook and gave her online community a recap of the party's events. After all, this performance was for the world, not just her friends. She needed everyone's condolences, sympathy, and most importantly, their unwavering belief that she really was sick. And for the moment, it worked. Her followers flooded the comments with support and love. But Belle wasn't done. Two weeks later, she returned to Instagram with another update. She told her followers that doctors had found cancer in her blood, spleen, brain, uterus, and liver. It was essentially a post to tell everyone she was dying. Of course, Belle planned on miraculously recovering a few months later, but she figured the post would buy her some time until her book launch. Online, she got the responses she expected. But in real life, the announcement backfired. 
Many of Belle's so-called friends hadn't even known she was sick until she posted about it. It felt jarring that she told the whole world before talking to them. Some of her friends weren't just concerned, they were done believing Belle altogether. It had been a slow realization, but after the events of the last month, things just weren't adding up. Belle said she was sick, but she didn't look or act like it. With the exception of her performance at Ollie's party, she was still operating at her full level. Eventually, enough was enough. Two of Belle's friends, Chanel and Jared, felt like they had to do something. Her book release was just around the corner, and they needed to stop it before her lies spread any further. So one night in October of 2014, they showed up at her house. Belle was surprised to see them at her door, but she invited them in. They traded pleasantries for a few minutes until Chanel and Jared finally blurted it out. They wanted proof that she really had cancer. If she'd been lying this whole time, then she needed to come clean to the public. At first, Belle played dumb, like she couldn't believe what she was hearing. But when they kept pushing, she got paranoid. She wanted to know who else they'd been talking to. They went around and around in circles for hours. Belle felt attacked, her friends were frustrated, and no one wanted to concede. Finally, around midnight, Chanel and Jared threw up their hands and left. They'd done all they could. But Belle's friends were just the beginning. See, Julie Gibbs, the woman responsible for Belle's book deal at Penguin, had received emails from one of her colleagues. Months earlier, the editor had warned Gibbs that Belle's story was filled with gaps that were ripe for journalists to attack. It's unclear why she didn't take action sooner, but now, as the launch approached, Gibbs was feeling the pressure. She had to double-check Bell's claims and prepare her for increased publicity. So she called Bell into the Penguin offices and conducted a mock interview. For 90 minutes, Gibbs grilled Bell about her story. She wanted to know about Bell's childhood, the gaps in her employment history, the details surrounding her diagnosis. Bell expertly dodged some of the questions, but there were others she straight up refused to answer. As the interview got more pointed, Bell got flustered and nervous. Gibbs assured her that she was just playing devil's advocate, that she wanted to prepare Bell for any investigative journalists who'd come calling. It was better to get out in front of those things, she explained. Bell nodded and went along with the rest of the interview, trying her best to give Gibbs answers. By the end of the session, Gibbs was apparently satisfied enough to move forward. It felt like they could let out a sigh of relief. Now everyone could just relax and look forward to the book launch. The big day was October 23, 2014. That's when the Whole Pantry cookbook went out into the world. In it, Belle wrote a foreword about her cancer, her cure, and her journey. The book was a hit. It sold 16,000 copies in just over two months, which was a lot for a cookbook, and it got nothing but glowing reviews. With that success, Belle decided to capitalize once again. The whole pantry wasn't just going to be an app and cookbook, she could have a whole lifestyle brand. So she registered a new domain name, The Whole Life. 
she hired an assistant and put out an ad for a new digital designer. She also said she was working on a second book that focused on stories from her community. Most importantly, Bell promised that all the profits from these enterprises would be donated to charities. Like always, she talked a big game about helping those in need. But as we know, Bell had a complicated relationship with the truth. If lying could benefit her in any way, she was all for it. And in this case, she saw a chance to climb even further up the social ladder. She had no idea that behind her back, people were working to take her down. Coming up, a friend exposes Belle's lies at last. Now back to the story. By early 2015, 23-year-old Belle Gibson was making moves to expand her business into an entire lifestyle brand. And as far as she was concerned, she had everything under control, but there were forces at work behind her back. Belle's friend, Chanel, had had enough of the lies and felt like she had to do something to stop her from doing more damage. So she phoned Australian newspaper The Age and gave them a vague tip that Belle Gibson was only pretending to have cancer. Bo Donnelly and Nick Toscano were the two reporters who picked up Chanel's tip. At first, they were skeptical that it'd be anything worth chasing down, but they changed their tune once they spoke to Chanel. They realized that if what she said was true, then they had a huge story on their hands. They got to work digging for facts. Meanwhile, Belle must have sensed that something was coming down the pipeline. We don't know what exactly she knew at this point. Maybe she'd heard whispers that Chanel was talking, or perhaps someone else in her inner circle was pushing her for answers. What we do know is that Belle was desperate to stay in control, because only desperation could have led her to make her next move. In February of 2015, Belle met with Richard Gilliatt, a journalist for the Australian newspaper. As the two sat down in a small Melbourne cafe, Gilliatt noticed that Belle was the picture of health, despite being diagnosed with so many different types of cancer. Because he was a journalist, he said something. That's when Belle broke down and tearfully confessed to Gilliatt what she'd never admitted to anyone before. She didn't actually have cancer in her liver, spleen, uterus, or blood. But she added quickly, she didn't lie. She really did have brain cancer. This new round had just been a misdiagnosis. She'd been to see an alternative doctor and he must have gotten it wrong. Something about her story was completely off. Walking away from the interview, Gilead likely knew he had a front page story. As Gilead prepared his piece for publication, Donnelly and Toscano were also closing in on their report. By the start of March 2015, they had five people from Bell's inner circle who admitted, off the record, that they doubted Bell's diagnosis, but none of them were willing to attach their name to the accusation. Without someone willing to go on the record, the age's lawyers wouldn't let Donnelly and Toscano run the story. What they could do was report on Bell's financial dealings, so they dug into the whole pantry. Lo and behold, they found receipts. 
Belle had said repeatedly that she was donating money to charities. At one point, she claimed to have given away at least $300,000 to various organizations worldwide. She was also on record saying that she gave away 25% of her company's profit. Another time, it was 95% of her app proceeds. Her statements were all over the place, and none of them added up. But when Donnelly and Toscano called the charities, the pieces started falling into place. None of the charities had received the promised donations. Some hadn't even heard of Belle Gibson. And the cherry on top of it all? Neither Belle nor her company were legally registered to raise funds. And according to Australia's Consumer Affairs Bureau, anyone misrepresenting fundraising events could be in breach of criminal law. Now, that was a story to run with. Before they published their article, Donnelly and Toscano reached out to Belle for comment. When they couldn't reach her via phone, they emailed her a list of 21 questions, asking for evidence of her cancer diagnosis and her charitable donations. Then they waited. I imagine Belle panicked when the email popped up in her inbox. With people circling so close to the truth, it was going to be hard to wriggle out of this one. That didn't mean she couldn't try, though. Belle sent back a rambling 1,500 words in which she sidestepped the questions about her diagnosis and made excuses for the backlog of charitable contributions. She threw around statements about her company's cash flow problem and claimed that donations were allocated but not actually passed along yet. None of it made sense to the reporters, who knew that between the app and book advance, Bell had made half a million dollars. Besides, as some observers later pointed out, fundraising donations and company cash flow are supposed to be two separate buckets. If things were above board, there shouldn't have been any overlap. In other words, Bell's attempt to save herself failed mightily. Now, Donnelly and Toscano had more than enough to publish. Two days later, on March 8th, the story dropped online. Obviously, the article wasn't kind to Belle. While there weren't any accusations about her faking her diagnosis, it did highlight the fact that she basically failed to donate any of the money she'd collected. No matter which way you sliced it, it didn't look good. But the worst was yet to come. Two days later, Gilead published his profile on Bell, and it included her admission that her latest cancer diagnosis wasn't necessarily true. Even though Gilead's article was based on Bell's own words, many of her fans rushed to her defense. There had to be a mistake. These reporters were just jealous of Bell's success, they thought. There was no possible way that Bell would ever lie to her followers. But over the next 24 hours, the story picked up traction around Australia. People who had never heard of Belle or the whole pantry suddenly knew it all and were quick to judge. Soon, her supporters were overwhelmed by a chorus of critics. Belle had no choice but to go into damage control mode. First, she made rush donations to charities, although it was a paltry amount in the grand scheme of things. Then she purged her Facebook and Instagram pages. She deleted anything that mentioned hospital admissions, multiple cancers, or extraordinary medical claims of any kind. 
All of it was scrubbed clean. But it wasn't enough. Tellingly, not a single member of Belle's family came to her defense. Not that she'd spoken to them in years anyway, nor did many of her friends. In fact, more people came out of the woodwork to call Belle a manipulative liar. And all those glowing articles that magazines had published about Belle? In time, most of them disappeared from the internet entirely. No one wanted to be associated with Belle Gibson. That included Bell's publisher, Penguin. They pulled her book off the shelves and sent out a press release distancing themselves from her. A week later, Apple followed suit. With just a month until the Apple Watch launch, they wiped the whole pantry from all their platforms and removed any reference to it from their marketing materials. And with that, it seemed that Belle had lost almost every meaningful relationship she'd had, with the exception of her partner. She went from social media wonderkind to public enemy number one. She reportedly received death threats, her staff quit, and her fans turned on her, leaving hundreds of comments detailing their feelings of betrayal, heartbreak, and anger. To combat the outrage, Bell hired a corporate advisory firm who, for some reason, agreed to help her pro bono. Their game plan was simple. Step one, step up with a high-profile interview where she could tell her side of the story. Step two, have Bell lay low and get out of the spotlight while things died down. Bell went along with step one and spoke with the Australian Women's Weekly, one of the biggest magazines in the country. But rather than own up to what she did and apologize, she tried to present herself as the victim. Bell claimed she'd planned on going public about her misdiagnosis, but the press had beaten her to it. After all, she'd told Gilead in their interview, so it wasn't like she was hiding it. Not really. But at that point, no one was willing to believe anything Bell said, and the interview came across as exactly what it was an attempt to make herself look better. Needless to say, when the profile was published in late April, it didn't make Belle look great. The Weekly coined her the girl who conned us all, and the story went viral. At first, Belle was distraught. Then she started to get angry. She'd helped so many people live a healthier life. So what if she'd told a little white lie? Maybe she thought that didn't take away from her positive contributions to the community. So instead of laying low as she'd been advised, she went on the offensive. She wanted to plead her case again, hoping that if she said the right words, people would get it. When 60 Minutes Australia came calling, it was a no-brainer for Belle. According to researchers Stephanie Alice Baker and Chris Rojek, Bell's 60 Minutes interview was a prime example of what they call a para-confession. This is when a celebrity attempts to repair broken trust and emotional damage with their audience. In Bell's case, she tried again to convince everyone that she was not only innocent, but a victim. She spoke about the trauma of being misdiagnosed and how the pressures of her wellness empire forced her to live up to the expectations of her audience. In other words, it wasn't Bell's fault at all. It was everyone else's. Of course, that went over about as well as you'd expect. The 60 Minutes host absolutely skewered Bell. Again and again, she called Bell out on all her lies. 
and all she had in response were thinly veiled excuses. When the interview aired, reality seemed to hit Belle. She must have realized she wasn't going to win the war because she retreated from the public eye. Despite the immediate reaction from the public, the Australian government took longer to act. Ultimately, they fined Penguin Random House $30,000 for not fact-checking Belle's claims before publishing her book. Apple got off scot-free. But Belle wasn't quite so lucky. A year after the scandal broke, authorities charged her with false and misleading conduct and unlawful fundraising. Despite the serious charges, Bell refused to show up for trial. In her absence, the government made its case. And in March of 2017, the judge found 25-year-old Bell guilty. The court handed out her punishment in September. Bell was fined $410,000, but she didn't have the money to cover it, or at least she said she didn't. But the authorities knew that was a lie. Somehow between 2017 and 2019, she'd spent over $90,000 on clothes, cosmetics, and holidays. So the Australian government took matters into their own hands. They raided her Melbourne home twice, once in January 2020 and then again in May 2021. It's unclear exactly how much they seized during the raids, but as far as we know, Bell still owes more than $500,000 in fines, penalties, and interest. Bell Gibson shot to fame seemingly overnight and then fizzled out almost as quickly. After her trial, she slipped out of the limelight and reinvented herself again, this time as a simple neighborhood mom who just wanted to take care of her son with her partner Clive. She never faced any jail time. She was able to walk away from her lies, leaving them behind with very little consequence. Comparatively, there were likely people who took Bell's advice to heart and turned their backs on conventional medicine to treat their illness. It's entirely possible that they got sicker as a result. Some may have even passed away earlier than expected. It's a terrifying thought how much power one person's lies can have over another. So if there's one thing you take away from Belle Gibson's story, let it be a reminder to always think twice about what people say on the internet. Thanks again for tuning in to Female Criminals. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on Belle Gibson, amongst the many sources we used, we found The Woman Who Fooled the World by Bo Donnelly and Nick Toscano, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Female Criminals and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Female Criminals is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Female Criminals was written by Alex Burns. With writing assistance by Sarah Batchelor and Joel Callen. Fact-checking by Bennett Logan. And research by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. I'm Vanessa Richardson.
Scotland Yard Confidential is the new Spotify original from Parcast. Enter the minds of some of the greatest detectives in history as they crack seemingly impossible cases. Join us for episodes airing weekly starting May 19th. Follow and listen for free on Spotify.